Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Cody Laughlin, my friend, welcome to the show. Hey, man, Eric, I am happy to be here, man. Yeah, I, uh, I love interviewing other podcasters. You know, I was telling you right before recording, it's like, we just know the drill, right? We know, uh, we know how to jive and talk and, and what generally not to say, although I can't say I don't break that rule on my own all the time. Uh, <laughs> oh, was I supposed to know what generally not to say? Because I'm probably going to break that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, we'll be all right. Uh, I have an editor. So Cody, man, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I think you're in the top, the first 10 of the Black Diamond podcast. So I appreciate, you know, when, uh, when people jump on to new podcasts, when, you know, we actually have an audience already, which is surprising. I don't know where it came from because we haven't done a lot of promoting yet, but we will as soon as we get to 10 or 12. So I appreciate you coming on, being part of the early, the early guests. And I can't imagine uh, a, a better person to have on. And Cody, that the place I like to start always is just give us your your story, man. Give us your your journey to entrepreneurship. Ooh, um, yeah, I would say that you know I grew up in an entrepreneurial household. My dad, I didn't know at the time was he was really into like side hustles. Like he was he was a top premium salesman, sales manager, and ran sales teams. Ended up running like a southeast division sales team. So I was I grew up in sales offices. So that was kind of my life. And then my mom started a company and uh, off the basis of what my dad was doing. And I kind of watched them grow up. I grew up going to there to earn money by, you know, putting envelopes on, you know, put stamps on envelopes for a nickel piece and doing mailers and all this stuff. And I didn't really know that was what I was doing. I just kind of assumed, like, oh, my mom has a business. You know, I didn't know she was an entrepreneur. I didn't know all the little crazy stuff that my dad did with like, you know, all of them, like the real estate things, the, we sold water ionizers, we, uh, which was a crazy one. Um, it still sticks in my head seeing what's in our tap water. <laughs> that was an easy sale. But I, so I kind of grew up in this, in this atmosphere. And so when I went to school, I wanted to be a biologist. My first year, I was 19 years old. I was in my, in a finance class and the teacher taught me about compound interest. Hmm. And I still remember the lesson today because the lesson was, You'll have more money if you save $2,000 a summer for the next four years and just put that away than you would if you put $25,000 a year away from 50 to 60. And my mind was blown. I was like, how in the world can eight grand be more than $250,000? And after we've been through that for a little while, I switched majors to be a finance major at UCF, uh, University of Central Florida. And uh, with, I struck out. I went in and visited my sister right before I finished up school and I visited her. She was a mortgage broker. 
I said, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, come in. You know, what are you going to do afterwards? I said, I don't know. She was like, well, I'm making a ton of money. Do you want to live in South Florida? I was like, okay. I went in and interviewed, long story short, became a mortgage broker. Nine months later, opened up my own company, bought a $500,000 house with $300 in the bank account, bought a second $250,000 duplex, same $300 in the bank account, and uh, opened a company. And so bootstrapped it, you know, five people. Within three years, I had four companies, became a millionaire at the age of 27, and uh, really thought that this whole business thing was super easy. And that was 2007. And by the end of 2008, I was uh, $700,000 in debt, IRS lien, foreclosure, uh, two foreclosures, and no companies and no job, <laughs> no money, living on credit cards. So uh, <laughs> realized that I knew there was a lot of things I didn't know. <laughs> I built a, I was a, I called a paper tiger. Um, you know where, you know, I I really had was working on everything was just you know I could go get another dollar so I could just finance whatever I wanted and. It was never going to end. The real estate was always going to go up. It was going to be great. I had four real estate based companies in South Florida. So it, when it blew up, it blew up, up real big. So um, after that, I became a commercial banker. Uh, I went after strategically went after a position and I can kind of dive into all these different topics of what really transpired to get there. I'm kind of breezing through it. Yeah. But so I became a commercial banker for three years, uh, the youngest one in Florida and uh, became their top producer within three years. And at the end of that, I got the opportunity to go work for an RV dealership. I had never been in an RV and the, uh, the owner was elderly and was looking for someone that a had experience, but B could read a set of financials. And I had both of those, um, things and I built the company. We went from $9 million in revenue to $51 million a year in revenue. So along the way I bought the company, sold the company to a publicly traded company and uh, took some work there as a high level. I was a senior vice president, two seats away from the CEO of a publicly traded company, big, you know, six figure job and uh, walked in one night and told my wife I was quitting next week. And she said, <laughs> why don't you quit tomorrow? <laughs> and uh, I said, fantastic idea. And so I did. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I walked and, um, and so now I've been, uh, trying some different ventures that I'm enjoying and I spend a boatload of time with my kids. Oh, that's awesome, that's, man. That's my story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so many things I want to peck at there. It's, uh, it's interesting too, because when I made a, a decision in 2017 to sell my gym and I'm like, I told my wife like, Hey, why don't we go, you know, why don't we go find a, a mountain town to live in? She did something similar with your wife. She's like, well, why don't we go live in a bunch of them? I was like, ah, oh. God, you're great. You're amazing. Uh, that was my experience. I, I actually watched six hours of uh, direct direct marketing, internet marketing videos. I bought every package they had and I walked in at like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm quitting. She was like, okay. I'm like, don't you want to know what I'm doing? She was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, like I said, it was a multi six figure a year job yeah. with a direct path to like seven figure income, you know, pretty, uh, it was laid out in front of me and, uh, and I just, I, she was just like, nah, she's like, you, you she's like, I, I believe in you. I trust you. And I was like, but I want to tell you what I'm doing. She's yeah. like, it's one o'clock yeah. in the morning. Like go to bed, please. <laughs> <laughs> what is, uh, what, what is your wife? What did she, does she work or what does she do? 
Uh, so when I started at the dealerships, one of the reasons I took that route was that I was able to work quite a bit more. She was eight months pregnant. Um, mm. And so we decided that we wanted her to be a stay at home mom. Um, you know, she before that, uh, she was she sold real estate internationally. Then she was a school teacher. She was a kindergarten teacher, um, which she loved, probably the, her favorite job. And then uh, because of at the time she was doing that when we had to when I had to move um, and uh, in the crash. And so uh, she kind of had to give that up. And then she became a banker and a branch manager and then became a stay at home mom. And uh, which is obviously, I think, what the most important job that she's had. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I think, you know, what's interesting is that uh, I find that my wife has been, you know, always in kind of a corporate structure, a normal W-2 job. And for the last, you know, 10, 12, 13 years, I've always been self-employed or entrepreneurial. And uh, a lot of times I'll get really excited. I want to share stuff with her. And maybe it, it just, I'm not relatable. Let's put it that way. Like the things I do on a daily basis, she's like, yeah, I'll be like, well, I connected these dots and this thing. I mean, this person and then she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds great. I support you in what you're doing. Right. Um, yeah. I would have warned, uh, to the, like, I, I actually seek out kind of people like yourself because I, I just feel that there's such a disconnect sometimes that I need those kinds of people in my life, which yes. is what the podcast has done for me. Uh, it's really filled that void uh, for me because it's like, otherwise I think I drive people nuts, you know, because like I want to, I'm like, well, but you could do this and that. And I'm like, I'm like, so I get, I like sell myself on ideas on businesses and not even on things that have anything monetarily to do for me. I just, it, my brain doesn't turn off, you know? And I think I could drive people nuts if I didn't have outlets to be like, okay, I have a structured hour to where I can just geek out on business uh, with somebody that's like me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really nice to be around other entrepreneurs, have conversations with people because you just, you find your lives relatable. And it was a shock to me when I did ask, I think I asked my wife, I'm like, wait, you don't have like 30 ideas a minute for business. She's like, no, I'm like, whoa, really? So that's just, okay. That was a huge shock to me. I remember, I remember it almost to the, to the day, you know, one question I want to go back really quick because I'm, sure. I'm curious. So the, uh, the, the water ionizer, I imagine the sales process being like, uh, you take a little test tube, you put some drops in the water and you show people what's in their water and they're like, Oh my God. Uh, no, way better, way better. And the reason I remember this because my, like I said, my dad, I didn't know there were side hustles. I just thought it was like, Oh, he was just doing something else. Like he, he, he was, uh, constantly doing this thing. So we had these water, I want to say they were ionizers. I called it that, but it was like a water, a home water purification thing. And I think it was an ionizer because it had like two kind of picture them like, like Mason jar size. And they went on this thing and inside of them, there was these like, uh, like magnetic poles. Right. And they would, they would, I guess they would like kind of magnetize the water and you would take one that would be pure water. And then you would do one that would be out of the tap and then you would put them on there and you just let it sit. And Mm -hmm. you could, as a sales process, this is kind of one of the reasons I learned how to be quiet sometimes um, was that you sat there and this tap water would start, there would be little things that started appearing in it. And then they would all start settling down at the bottom of the jar. And at the end of it, there was like half an inch of like stuff. I don't know what it was, 
it was a stuff in your water and it was like and then the other the other side was clean pure you know and there was nothing in the bottom of there and so like if you could get to that point in the sales process like those things sold themselves because you were like i'm drinking that you know this is back in the day when everybody was drinking tap water but you know the 80s <laughs> but, yeah yeah you know, but I it was, it was like hose yeah absolutely i still do i'm still an <laughs> 80s kid <laughs> yeah me too man yeah 100 but, but uh you know that it, it was uh it was quite the eye-opening experience and i was you know seven eight nine ten years old and i still remember that thing i wish i had one yeah yeah it'd be fun it'd be interesting i mean i i drink out of the tap water now i didn't in california but now i just presume because i'm in montana that the water's clean <laughs> Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I have no basis for that whatsoever. Uh, it's no. just wishful thinking. Um, so, so what you're doing now, man? Tell me about the podcast, the business, the mission. Like, yeah, give us all the good. What's what does today look like for Cody? Absolutely. Um, so, one of the reasons that I kind of mentioned that story about sitting in the finance class at 19 years old was um, I I went through like a complete like cycle in that class, right? So I went from like amazement. I went from non-belief, right? I was like, there's no way $8,000 is more than $250,000. Like I didn't understand the time value of money. And then I'm looking at it and I kept doing the calculations and I convinced myself. And then I was like amazed. I was like, this is amazing. And then I was like, then I was like, why don't I know this? You know, like why I should have been taught this. Like, why aren't we teaching? And then I got really angry. And so, um, because I kept thinking about the kids that were, you know, I just graduated high school with 400, per, like a class of like, I don't remember what it was, like 500 people or something. And I'm like, dude, if 50 people even got to see this, like that means 450 didn't or whatever the number is, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I had a pottery class. Like I made, I made like coil, like coaster coils. And I was like, I, man, what am I, I was like, I learned calculus. Like, what am I going to use calculus? Like, I could have used this information. And I kept thinking about the people that were on, like, my football teams. And then they didn't go to college. And they, they weren't going to get this information. And I was, like, really upset. And as a 19-year-old, I was very aware that this should have been part of our curriculum, right? Like, this was in ridiculous that we're teaching all these subjects that don't, you know, that we have a very, very small chance of ever using it in the rest of our lives. You know, we had 12 years of English. And I still have, a, I still have to have Grammarly on my computer. And so, um, <laughs> as I was able to, uh, build up enough passive income that all of my bills are covered from mailbox money. So I call it. And, um, I had this really high, you know, earning job, but I was really didn't have the fulfillment that I wanted. I was seeking. Um, I didn't feel like I was having an impact and I felt like I should have, because this thing's bothered me for about 20 years of my life. And so I decided that I that's what I was going to do. I was going to go out and try and have an impact in the world. And so it took me a little while to figure out the medium. It took me a little while to pull the bandaid off and start podcasting. And now um, I'm getting ready to deliver a course uh, and a mentorship course. Um, but it's basically I want to bring uh, the, the subjects of personal finance, money, entrepreneurship, and successful mindsets uh, into I want to give those tools to parents so that they can open up their kids eyes with this stuff because I feel like if you had an extra 15 years of your life if you've learned this at 30 which you know I would challenge that a lot of people don't um but there at some point in your life you're going to get you're going to get a money lesson you're going to get them no matter what you're either going to be prepared for them or you're not going to be prepared for them and I feel like if I could move the needle with kids 
um, that they will be able to go out and have financial freedom much earlier in life. But then they will be able to do the things that I want to do, which is I want to have an impact on the world. And I think that they'll be able to go out and take bigger risks, be able to solve bigger problems in the world because they're not tied to that nine to five and getting into the debt cycles. And they're going to go out and make the world a better place. And I think that the whole, the whole thing is a great thing. And so that really inspires me to get going. And that's why I started Money Talkers. It's why I seek out the, uh, the people such as yourself who can leave a trailblaze and say, hey, look, this is how I did it. And it gives parents the ability to have those conversations with their kids um, so that they have a couple of things. One, that they, that they open the relationships earlier in life so that later in life, when you have big decisions, that they're, they already have established a, a relationship and there's that no love and trust factor. And then two, that you can leave a legacy, that your kids should be able to take everything that you have had to make mistakes along the way and, uh, and they should be able to build upon it and, uh, and have that carrying factor. You know, and that one's real personal to me because my dad died when I was 19, mm-hmm. um, actually a month before I had that finance class. And I never got to have those conversations with him as an adult that, you know, you got to kind of shield kids in high school. There's only so much you can pull the curtain back on, but I never got to go have that beer with him and like pick his brain and see how he saw the world and like all these things. And it's a, it's a very deep regret for me. But on the flip side of that, I'm one of those people that says, okay, like here's something to complain about. But my answer to those things most of the time is, okay, what are you going to do about it? And so that's where I kind of came up with this is that I want to help entrepreneurial parents leave their legacy with their kids and build that relationship that, you know, they they give them a framework and a structure to do those things. So cool, man. I'm so glad you're doing it. And there's so much I agree with. And it's it's interesting, like, you know, I I reflect, uh, my dad was always really good with money, but really the only lesson he ever taught me was, you know, save 10%. Right. But then that's that a great was it. one though. <laughs> yeah, it was. I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it. Right. Well, he probably didn't tie the Y in. That's probably, yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's why exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, if I do, you know, save 10%, then what do I do with it? Right. Why is that important? Yeah. How does that, you know, affect my life in the long run? And I, and it really didn't, here was a moment where I was, ironically, I was in right in before the crash. I was also, uh, I was a mortgage. Um, I was a loan officer at a brokerage. I was considering starting my own brokerage right at that point. I was like, why wouldn't I just printing money at this point? And uh, I was, you know, making, you know, great, great checks. And I was finally, you know, at age, whatever I was like 28, 27, finally starting to like accumulate money. And I I remember asking a friend of mine who came from a very wealthy family and worked at UBS. And I'm like, well, what do I do with this? He's like, you invest it. I was like, what does that mean? Right. I was here. I was I college educated. I went through the Carroll School of Management at Boston College. Right. Multiple financial and accounting things, but I didn't know what to do with my money. And I think when it's, it's this American culture, too, where, um, you know, eventually what I did use the money is I probably put in one of the best investments I could. It was my own business. Right. Help me start yep. my own business. Um, <clears throat> but the focus on income and not wealth. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. it's. And I, I, I refrain from using this word systemic because it's, it's, it's just, it's used way too much right now. Um, but it is, it's like, it's kind of built into our, our thing that we just, our culture wants people just focus on income. How much do you make? How much do you make? How much do you make? 
And honestly, like I, I shifted about not that far, not that long ago, about three to four years ago from income focus to wealth creation. And that's changed everything. Like how do I manage my wealth? Right. How do I manage my money? How do I put it into the right place? Am I watching it? Am I treating it with love? And I think that's a, a really big thing is people need to stop focusing on income. It's important. It's part of the formula, right? But how do we start focusing on wealth? Yeah. You know, it's something that um, we all know it's wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the yeah. thing as I talk to people about what I'm doing with money talkers. And uh, I would love to get this information into a curriculum. Um, you know, that was designed 60 years ago where you go to work for a, a, that you're basically being trained to be a factory worker or a big corporation worker. And then you work there for 60 years or 50 years of your life. And at the end of that, they give you a pension and a gold watch and say, got it a boy and see you later. Right. Yeah. And then that's not the world today. And the thing is we haven't shifted these. We're getting, we have more and more financial responsibility shift onto the individual, but less and less education as to what to do about it. Yes. Right. So we, we have educated, we haven't come anywhere along the routes of like, we're going to bring financial education into the schools, but we have shifted. You have to take care of your own health care. You have to take care of your own retirement. You know, you have to take care uh, like everything now is based on the individual and your decisions. And so again, it's one of those situations where if you say, this isn't right. This isn't cool. You know, like this isn't fair. This isn't anything. My challenge again is going to be, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? And so we have opportunities, you know, if you're, if you are the person to go out and seek the information and take advantage of it and really kind of dive in, then you're going to have exponentially more opportunities because it's exponentially more people are going to struggle with it, you know? And so I think you can take control of it. I don't like to deal in macro economies. I like to deal in micro economies, which is what's going on at my house. Mm. And that is a huge mindset shift. And what you talked about of creating wealth, um, you know, there's a, uh, there's kind of a quadrant of earners out there. And, uh, and I would challenge that it also correlates straight to the ladder of wealth, right? So you have an employee, uh, you trade your time for hour, you know, you trade your, tra trade your hours for dollars, trade your life, you know, pieces of your life, which is basically what hours are for dollars. Uh, then you can go into the self-employed, which is, you know, maybe you, maybe a couple other people doing a trade, but again, you're just creating a job and then there's, there's no leverage. There's no, you're trading the hours for dollars again, but now you have stress. <laughs> because you, you've, you've got your own thing, but you're not really building a business. And then you have a business owner, which is uh, now you're trading everybody else's hours for dollars and leverage. So now, you know, if you were working for yourself and you had, you know, you're, you've got whatever dollar you trade. So you're, you have finite resources. If I want to work 50 hours, I can make 50 hours worth of money. But if you could become a business owner and you have 10 employees and they all work 40 hours, well, now you have 400 hours to decide what, it's going to, what income is going to be created again, though, um, there's, there's, you're usually creating finite resources, even with that leverage, because as the business owner, the business usually depends on you. Yeah. And the last step is to move out from business owner into investor, uh, which is where real wealth creation is, uh, is accumulated, but also it's also where the freedom comes from. So now my money 
is making money. Now somebody else is the business owner with the stress. And now the only thing you have to really do is kind of watch and make sure that your investments are growing in, in the right way. But that allows a lot more freedom in your life. You know, I mentioned earlier kind of mailbox money. Uh, and it's the ultimate goal in wealth creation is that your assets produce and now they start buying assets. When you get to that position, it's a game changer. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I, I think there's a couple, and this is a little bit of a, a, a side topic, but I think there's a couple industries that are ripe for disruption. I'm not saying they're going away, but I do think they're, they're deep for change. I mean, we're seeing in the fitness industry now, it's, it's just being pushed right into a very disruptive state. Um, I think the real estate agency model right? I think is, is there's, there's something there. I mean, I know a lot of people were selling a home now, um, you know, for sale by us, right. We're keeping out the real estate agent. Um, I think I'm financial on. advisory, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think financial advisors, like where, where is that going to go? Because I, I feel like people should have more knowledge of what's going on with their money. I mean, financial advisors can be leaned upon. I have a great one. He's a good friend, uh, Tyler powerful, Tyler Powell. It's at Stiefel. Um, but a lot of people just kind of let a program run, right? So what do you think is going to happen with, with the, the area of financial advisors? Well, um, let's use, I want to use your example in the fitness industry, right? So let's yeah. say you're a personal trainer and you charge, what, $100 an hour? Is that a, is that a ballpark, sure. I guess? Yeah. Okay, so let's yeah. say $100 an hour and you see five clients in a day because you got to do, you got to work on your business the other three hours, right? So you make five, you can charge $500 a day. You can only ever charge a hundred dollars an hour per client, right? And stay there. Or, I mean, I guess you could charge, you could change the amount that you charge, but you've got other personal trainers out there. So let's set the market at a hundred bucks. If you right now are sitting at home and you're like, man, this whole COVID thing, I, I was like, my clients are cutting a third. Like, this isn't fair. I didn't do anything to deserve this. What am I going to do? Well, what if you had a virtual class and you have, you can get 40 people in your hour and you're charging them each $10 a piece. Well, they just won because they're not paying a hundred dollars an hour and you've just won because now you're producing $400 in an hour, hmm. right? That's leverage. And so I, when you talk about disruption, there are always opportunities. Disruption causes winners and losers. And generally the consumer is the biggest winner in disruption. You know, I think about yeah. like Uber and those kinds of things. And so in the financial advisor model, um, you're going to have a need um, for uh, you got to have a need for expertise because of the fact that there's a lot of moving parts. And so I believe 100% in hiring the best professionals that I can find when it comes to uh, four things. And that's in the financial world, right? I believe in a, in a great attorney. Um, I believe in a great accountant <laughs> and uh and I, and I believe in a, a great insurance person, right? Because those four things, like you can either, I think if what you're talking about, like if not needing someone who's so specialized in that model, um, there will be cheaper options, no problem, right? But I don't get my LASIK done on Groupon. I can tell you that. Yeah. I don't want that <laughs> option. So when I start dealing with my money, I want the guy who's worth it. Like I want the exclusive guy. I want the one who's, you know, my, my accountant might charge uh, $1,200 to do my tax returns, but I can go to H&R Block and get it done for 100 right? But that $1,200 might save me $15,000 
or they're going to talk to me about my plans for the future and how it's going to affect the way that I borrow money, or we're going to talk about what the tax rates are going to do in a year from now and how it's going to change and all this stuff. Right. And so, and I can bounce ideas and I can call them and they're, they're worth that money all day long. I think the better people that you can surround in those four areas around money that you should want to have them in your life because I've tried trading stock and I am terrible at it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a classic visionary entrepreneur and I can sell myself on any idea that I want to do. <laughs> you know? And it is not a good arena to do that in because I'm like, Oh, this one's down X, Y, Z. And I could multiply that. And this is going to, I only have to go back this much. And then they know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just <Yeah>. not good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so. an interesting, uh, I agree, man. I mean, I have a CPA that I started working with uh, five, six years ago. I've referred him so much business Oh, uh, because yeah. he is, and he's, he's the busiest guy I know because he saves so much money, he specializes in S corps. And, you know, he's constantly talking to people, constantly researching, seeing what's going on. Uh, and is he's, he's worth every penny and he's not cheap. You know, no, I think uh, that, he well, did all of my family this year, uh, we paid him a nice chunk of money, but it was totally worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And the thing is, is it's also, um, so what I think a good mindset shift around that is, is that a lot of times people think about like, what does it cost to get my tax return done? Mm-hmm. And, and they think, well, this guy, maybe he could have done the same thing for a little bit of less of money. But a lot of times what those four categories I gave you are doing is they're protecting you from the mistakes that you could have made. Sure. You know, the, sure. uh, the attorney, like check with them before you, before you make moves because you know, there's certain things that they can do. I'll give you an example. Like I opened up an LLC. I've always done them myself in Florida. You can file for like 90 bucks. I was talking to her, uh, my CPA attorney, she's actually the same firm. Um, which is awesome. Cause I can just like, I can literally text message her right now and I'll have a text message back within five minutes. Wow. Like I have that kind of relationship, but I built that by the same way you did, which is I have referred and given her business advice a million times. She's an amazing attorney, amazing accountant. And then I have in turn brought value to her because I've opened 13 businesses and I pretty much, you know, 10 of them failed miserably. And so I know what not to do. So I've kind of had those conversations with her, you know, but I went to open up an LLC and I was going to do it myself because I've done it a bunch of times. And I said, I was talking to her and I said, Hey, uh, I've never done a single owner LLC in the information business product, you know, product information, da, 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 da. She laid out some pitfalls for me that I had no clue about. You know, and uh, it, it, she, I ended up paying her, you know, pretty hefty sum to write my articles of import, incorporation. And one of the main things she said was like, this will keep you from getting pierced through the single owner LLC. And I'm like, what does that mean? And she was like, you think they can only sue your company when you open up a corporation. But if your articles of incorporation are not written correctly, I was like, she's like, they can pierce right through that and come after your personal uh, assets. Well, you just like, scared me a little. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. So, and she was like, no, no, no. So I think it was like, I think she charged me, you know, $3,000 or something. And I paid it, even though I could have done it for $90 myself. Yeah. Because that protection was worth it to me. And that scared me. Uh, and I, I, she literally walked me through it. And I was like, wow, I had no clue. But that's the guy at H and R block, man, if you go down there and give them the 150 bucks to do it, or you do it online for yourself for 90 bucks, like it's saving you from the things that you don't know about a lot of times with really, 
when you get professional people in those positions and I would, I've been with her for all 13 years, 14 years, I think I actually found her because I became a commercial banker and I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to go in and like pull people's loans and it was like, Oh eight, Oh nine, 2010. Right. And I had to go in and like review their financials. And like a lot of times I had to like pull covenants on them, which means they've failed some of their loan requirements and talk to them about like how we're going to make this work out. Cause basically, uh, the loan's over. And, um, so I heard her name and so she was an attorney defending the businesses. So I'm like, can I take you to lunch? And so I got to go pick her brain, uh, of like what the business owners are seeing and feeling and how they're fighting it. And she got to pick my brain over what the banks are thinking and doing those things. And so we kind of had like this mutual enemy relationship and man, she just blew me away. And so I've stuck with her ever since. I think that's a very big key thing because I have 13 years or whatever of relationship built. I have provided massive value to her, hopefully, um, and her clients alone. But now, because I've done that, whatever I need, if I called her on a Friday night at eight, seven or eight o'clock, I'm like, hey, I have to talk to you. She'll call me back, you know? And I can, and I can bounce these ideas off of people that are leveraging her thousands of her business clients. You know, I'm leveraging all their mistakes and all the things she's protected them from or had to fix for them. And I can, I can use that now uh, when I have my own harebrained ideas. And I think that's where a lot of that value comes from, from building those pillars of, uh, and those four pieces. Yeah, that's, man, that's powerful. That's great advice too, man. It's really, really solid. So, you know, on a day-to-day basis as an entrepreneur, what, what are some, what's one of the biggest challenges you face? Focus. Focus. Um, hmm. Yeah, that was a big one for me, you know, and I've, I've learned some strategies around these things that I'll, you know, kind of give to you and you can take it for what it's worth. But I think uh, one of the biggest things that I've learned uh, is to identify what will actually move the needle today and do that one thing. If I do anything else, I don't even care. I just want to move the needle because what we generally focus on is we work on the busy stuff. We work on the next most important we think about the last most important the whole time and we say, well, I'm going, I need to do this, right? If you find yourself saying, I need to do this, stop doing what you're doing and do the thing that you need to do because that's the important thing. You have to start on the other side of that. So you do the things that are the most difficult uh, or the most, it doesn't have to necessarily be difficult, but you do the things that are going to move the needle uh, in your business. Um, And if there's repeatable, teachable work, if you're the founder, or you're the driver, you know, uh, I learned a lot about visionaries and, um, and, uh, oh, my came, <laughs> uh, the operator basically, um, model. And I am a visionary. I can't help it. I think I'm really great at operations, but I'm really bad at them over time. <laughs> yeah, you know, too. I get bored. And then, so I have to hand these things. When I learned to do that and separate those tasks, it allowed me to free myself up to drive revenues. Right. So if you think about something, um, if you think about like, I'm trying to give them a good example. I just spoke to someone who has 700,000 YouTube followers, subscribers, right? That's a TV Mm. channel they have of themselves, right? Right. Built it from the ground up. So I'm talking to him. He's like, got a blog, humongous financial blog. He still writes all the articles for it. And I'm like, why do you do that? And he's like, because I'm the best at it. And I'm like, you're a visionary, dude. I go, whatever it costs you, it costs you $4,000 a month to have somebody else write your articles. 
I was like, what are you going to do with your spare time? He's like, I'll probably go find more stuff to do. And I'm like, you absolutely will. Cause you can't sit still, bud. And he was like, I was like, you're going to drive. Can you make more than $4,000 a month if you weren't spending 15 hours a week writing? And he was like, Oh, by far. I'm like, then hire someone, you know, even though we have to give those controls up, if it's teachable and repeatable, then you need to leverage, you need to leverage people to do those jobs because when they're solely focused on that task, they're going to do it better than you. And then you're also going to go out and be a revenue driver. And you're also going to spend time to be able to think about the business and find efficiencies and find ways to do better conversion of your leads. You know, there's three focuses of a business. There's sales and marketing, there's operations and there's finance, which is accounting and cash, you know, and, uh, you, you need to review and work on each one of those things. But if you're doing the repeatable tasks that someone else could offload because you're trying to save money, then you're not going to be pushing the driver forward like you could be. Uh, that's great advice, man. Yeah. I and mean, that's, and that's the secret of scaling eventually. It is. Right. It and is. Uh, and man, you can't, it's, it's a hard lesson to teach unless you're actually in the thick of it. I, I mean, as it's a hard lesson first... to, to swallow because yes, you're like, as the, as you're, you've built something and you think you're the best at it. Like you yeah. just can't help it. You're like, I'll give you an example. I was running the, I had five RV dealerships, 110 employees, and we needed like a security system, right? At one of the dealerships. I spent like a day and a half reviewing security systems, making phone calls and talking about it. And I was like, Oh man, look at that. Like, like instead of spending, you wanted to spend $3,000 and I found this one that's five star rated and it only costs 1200 bucks and da, 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 man, <laughs> what, what am I doing? Right. Like I, cause I'm like, I, I got into Amazon. I started watching YouTube videos. I started, like I really educated myself into the differences of these security systems and they're not even security systems. They're just cameras, you know, on the outside. And, uh, if I had just offloaded that to somebody, and then went out and helped my team, which was, you know, they were averaging, what, four and a half million dollars a month in sales. And so, you know, if you break that down, it's probably what, 150 grand a day. Like here I am trying to save a thousand dollars over a day and a half when I could have gone out and found a way for us to go and make $150,000. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's so funny. And here's the thing too, is like we think, um, as a founder over the entrepreneur, the central piece of, of the business that just because we hate doing something that somebody else will hate doing it as well. So if it's oh, something, redundant, right. And you know, like we have Norma, well, she's, she's signed on to our team at level five mentors and she'll, she'll be listening to this. And I was so astounded when we were talking in our first meeting, she's like, yeah, I love, you know, looking over business, uh, papers and, and just reading it in my, my, you know, my downtime and just reorganizing it. I was like, wait, wait, what? Like, you <laughs> like that? She's like, yeah, I love it. I enjoy it. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's great. Uh, you know, we just Me assume too, that- but I'll give it to you this one. Yeah, you win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's uh, I think that's another thing too, is we always assume that just because we dislike doing something other people do. But meanwhile, it might just be in their wheelhouse. But, you know, I think that that's a good point that though, that I want to touch before we move on to something else is that, um, I'll give you a perfect example. When I did my podcast, right. I taught myself like how to do audio editing and I started interviewing and I love talking to people. Like I said earlier, like I have this framework. It's like, it's, uh, where I get to pick the entrepreneurial brain of somebody for an hour and it just, I, it just lights me up. And, mm -hmm. um, and, but I, at one point I had 24 episodes out. 
and I had 44 that were in the queue and I hadn't released a podcast in almost a month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, I yeah. just started, I was like, I really like the interview portion of it. And I was like, ah, oh, I need to, and it was always on my mind and I felt really bad about it. And I was like, I wasn't produce, I wasn't being consistent. And like, it just, it, it was, uh, so I ended up, I hired someone to do it. And now I get done with my interview. I shove it into a drive file and all of a sudden it comes out and it's on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, Facebook and it's got graphics and now they're doing video clips out of it and they're consistent. I've got four a week coming out now. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm not even like, I'm, and, and now I get to go out and find bigger and better guests in which I, it, it's absolutely leveraged that to me. Like I just, uh, I just, like I said, I just interviewed a guy last week. that's like one of the three Kings of finance on YouTube. And um and I, it was them reaching and and they actually reached out to me uh, to be on the show through a mutual friend. And I was like, this, this is what I should be, should have been focusing on, like not the cause of producing the podcast. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I, I think it's good. I think yeah. it's good to understand, right. Um, what, what pieces go into building something like that. Let's just, you know, the podcast example, it's good to understand the editing and the promotion and, you know, what goes into it. So you can, you can see it from a high level. And if you ever had to do it, you could, but, I, yeah. but as soon as you can hand it off, I, I agree, man. I mean, I've yeah, I'm, so I'm that episodes. type of person. I got to see the I got to see how it's made and I got to, I got to tweak it and try to figure out my efficiencies and stuff. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, like, um, you know, I did not enjoy it. And my podcast editor, she loves it. And she came up with much better ideas out of how to distribute it and figure it out and do this stuff. And I'm like, fantastic. You know, like yeah. I can now, take that off my brain and that allows me to spend more time thinking about what I could do next. Cause it's not like, well, there goes six hours I get back in my life and now I'm just going to lay around and watch Netflix. Like it just, now I've got six hours to think of the next thing I can do to push the needle because you're kind of wired that way. Yeah. Last and, question, man. It's what is, yeah. uh, what's, what's the biggest need you have right now in your business? Uh, I am in a new venture right now, you know, where, um, this is totally foreign to me. And so um, I've struggled with creating a movement, <laughs> you know, or tackling a curriculum problem, you know, like I'm not, it's out of my, it's out of my uh, comfort zone. And so I've enjoyed that quite a bit uh, because I really enjoy challenges and trying to grow and do those things. Now I say that that I do enjoy those things, but I absolutely creates moments of absolute frustration too. Um, you know, and that I think that's part of the entrepreneurial journey. Um, but I was able to really connect in and I would give this advice to people listening is that I went and found my own coach and I found my own mentor. I went through a couple of them because I didn't get what I wanted out of it. And so when I was able to get in and I found somebody who has done this before and you also need to connect personality wise and we just, we actually did a podcast interview and uh, we just hit it off. We ended up, we did the interview for like an hour. And I mean, we, we must've talked for four hours after the show. Like it was amazing. And we just connected and hit it off. And we started having all these mutual concepts and we think that, you know, a lot of the same stuff. And, um, but that has now exponentially moved me forward in the last few months is that uh, I, w I was, depends on where you're at in your business. But I would say this, if you can find somebody who either a has what you want or b has done what you want to do uh reach out to them and uh you know copycatting is a uh 
copycatting is a, is a very well learned entrepreneurial skill. Yes. You know, it's a, uh, you don't need to fully reinvent the wheel. You have to make it your own. But if you think that you're going to be a trailblazer and you're going to be the first one in the whole history of the world to do something, it's a lot of weight to pull. But if you find somebody who knows the framework or the pathway and they can uh, emulate it, not only are you going to save the cost, but you have opportunity cost. So speed is a big deal in business and the ability to take someone and have them give them a framework uh, of something they've already completed, they know the mistakes. It's the same reason with money talkers. I want the parents talking to the kids because there's a little bit of pain in there that you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do this because of that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do this because of that. Right. Like, so like you, you have that, uh, the unforeseen errors that are going to come down the road and maybe it takes me two years to put out a, a, a program and I get there or if I hire a coach and I do it in 90 days, that means I have, you know, what one, one and three quarters of a year to move the needle, right? Okay. I got, I got my time back. I compressed it and that was a cost, but I'm okay with that cost because I want my time, but to be able to push this thing out faster and harder so that I can go find what's going to go wrong. I want to go find the errors. I want to go fail forward fast. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, man. That's great. And it's, it's, uh, such a common challenge amongst entrepreneurs. And obviously, you know, my, the company that Ken and I have is called level five mentors and we, we believe in it. I've had a mentor for the last <clears throat> 13 years of my business life. So, uh, you know, I, I walk the talk and it's, it's so critical and it's that person's going to change in different phases of your business and your life. And that's great because then you can take that and you can pay it forward um, at every different stage where you kind of move or, or pivot to a different, uh, a different angle. So Cody, I, well, I, almost, I almost say one thought about that. I think that this is something people need to hear that they, an entrepreneur, the founder, business owner, that life is lonely, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when you're the employee, you can talk to every other employee about how much the company's doing wrong or da, 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 your struggles. When you're the owner, none of them want to hear that. And you don't feel comfortable talking about it usually. And so it becomes kind of a lonely uh, existence in the fact you can't, you lose that business relationship as the owner a lot of times because you have to set clear lines. And that's, I think, what a mentor fills in for you. It's more of a sounding board. You're not just like, here's a roadmap, dude, but it's more like a sounding board where you can get information from them and you guys land at a uh, conclusion and it's non-judgmental. They're there to help. You know, I think that's a big distinction that for business owners that I wish I had known when I was younger, which is when everything blew up on me, um, that I never had a mentor. I just thought I knew what I was doing and I really knew nothing. Yeah. And that goes back to our earlier point too, is how, you know, oftentimes the entrepreneur finds themselves unrelatable to other people. It is. Uh, and, and you have, to be, you have yeah. to be having these conversations. Yeah, I think, and it becomes more exacerbated uh, as the owner of a company was when you start adding employees, you think, oh, this would be great. I have a bigger family at work now. And it's actually, you know, the bigger you get, the harder it gets because, you know, the guy making $10 an hour trying to relate to the owner of a $2 million a year business is, is they just think you've got it made and you have different problems, but you still have problems and you still need to be able to talk and work them through. But now you've been isolated more and more. Uh, as the business grows. And so I would 100% highly suggest either hiring a mentor or finding a mentor and uh, somebody that's going to be impartial 
to being judgmental that you can actually talk openly with because it is a massive value. Yeah. Well said, man. So Cody, give us a good man's where do people find you? <laughs> well, uh, if you want to continue listening to my voice and then hear the, uh, high achievers and coaches and, uh, some of the amazing people I get to interview, uh, any of the podcast players, you can find the money talkers with Cody Laughlin. Um, you can go to the money uh, and check out, get on the waiting list for the course that's good and ready to come out, which I'm super excited about. Um, it's, and then, uh, if you want to come in and you want to get some great advice, I suggest that you hit on the Facebook, uh, group at the money talkers, um, Facebook group to search it out. You'll see it there with our little green and white uh, piggy bank there. So I love it. Well, Cody, man, this has been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. We completely maxed out the time, which means it was a great conversation. And uh, <laughs> I yeah, feel like man. we had to cut it short, don't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we could have kept going. That's, we could have kept going. That's a great conversation when you feel yeah. like you cut it short. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, I have a feeling you and I will be talking real soon. So, ladies and gentlemen, Absolutely. Cody Laughlin. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate your listeners for listening and uh, giving us a little bit of their, their life and their time to be able to hear us out. So I appreciate everything you did for me. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be, I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.